0: Hi, I'm Dave, and welcome back to another episode of I'm Glad I Heard That. In this um, format, what we're trying to do is bring together content for men that um, you would listen to and that would maybe make you think differently about some things you're dealing with in life, and over the uh, next couple days after hearing this, that you would hear something through this conversation that would make you say, I'm really glad I heard that. And uh, today I want to talk with a friend of mine, Kevin. um, And before I introduce him, just want to share a little bit about Kevin's area of expertise. He is a counselor, but what he chooses to specialize in is marriage and also working with adult men. And so because of that, as I've gotten to know Kevin, he's been very helpful for me personally, but also helpful for me professionally. And so today I wanted to have a conversation with him. So welcome to the, uh, the podcast, Kevin. Thanks, Dave, I'm glad to be here. Yes, I'm glad you were able to make it. So as we've gotten to know each other, um, I'd like you to start by telling us kind of where you got your start, um, and if you can kind of start in your high school years, where you grew up and kind of how you ended up being a counselor that specializes in working with men
1: all right well i grew up on the west side of detroit um, area called rosedale park so i went to detroit, detroit public schools um up until the 11th grade and then i transferred senior year out to troy athens and graduated from athens
0: why did you transfer three years well, out of high school
1: it's a funny story so i went to the high school i went to was called renaissance um is a magnet school for the city, kind of like a lot of people have heard of Cast Tech because it's right. bigger. Um, Renaissance was the same. You had to test to get into it. You had to have good grades, all that. After the end of junior year, um, during the summer, we got a call, and apparently of the 141 kids in my graduating class at Renaissance, I was ranked 141st. So grades was not my strong point in high school. Um, I spent more time talking to security guards because I was skipping class and actually talking to teachers. So they recommended strongly that I uh, transfer schools. (laughs) Um, They couldn't kick you out for grades because it was a public school, but they gave some strong recommendations. So um, my parents looked into some parochial schools nearby, going to the, my local school wasn't really an option because it wasn't, it was a rough school. so I came out to live with my grandparents and graduated from Athens. Okay. So that was, that was quite a culture change.
0: I'd imagine, because you go from a school in the city of Detroit, mm-hmm. also a magnet school, so you're dealing with probably a lot more arts. Yeah. Uh, arts more of an science. arts focus, yeah. right? In a and magnet sciences. Schools, Arts and sciences, right? To a regular suburban high school. Yeah, oh.
1: with a lot of people. Okay. A lot of people. So 141 kids in my class. About 500 in the whole school. My graduating class at Athens was 560 something. Okay. So I actually did really well school wise at Athens, but that's honestly because I was able to just get lost in the mix a lot easier, hmm. um, get away with more stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's not kind of like my focus changed. But um, after I left Athens, I originally went to Wayne State because I, was, I wanted to be an actor, I was a drama geek in high school. I spent about a year at Wayne before I realized I am not that good at this. I mean, compared to the other students that I was with, uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to make it as an actor. So at the time, the girl I was dating, her dad was an engineer for Ford. And the amount of thought I put into it was, well, I kind of like cars and um, mechanical things are kind of interesting to me and math and science has always been easy. So I'll be an engineer. So I spent a little time at, at uh, a community college getting some credits and transferred to Lawrence Tech um, in Southfield. So I was there for three years. Two summers I spent interning at Ford, okay. um, getting some real life engineering experiences and also realizing how boring engineering was to me. And I was doing downtime analysis on production lines and it okay. was just like watching paint dry for me. Um, so I pieced out, I left. I never never finished college, went and got a job and made a good living. The last 11 years of that career, I was working for an exhibit company, um, doing project management and estimating, um, but like large scale exhibits, so like auto show type stuff. Okay. Um, I got downsized from that. And I remember the day I walked out, I actually had an experience where the the sky was bluer and the grass was greener and the air smelled sweeter and I knew that I couldn't go back to doing it anymore. And mm. I'd kind of known it for a while. I'd been miserable. but um, So I spent a little time. I actually uh, met with a career counselor and through that process, narrowed things down to a few different paths and, and the one that stuck out to me most was um, counseling. Now, the funny thing about that is that <clears throat> my first meeting with this guy, he said, you know, I noticed you didn't finish college. Would you ever confi- consider going back? I said, nope. He said, oh, that's interesting. You a- you answered that awfully quickly. I said, well, when I left, and I told him the story, I said, when I left, I left because I knew that wasn't the road right I wanted to go. I said, you know, my wife's got a college degree. All my friends have college degrees. Mm-hmm. But I never had that feeling, of, oh, golly, I wish I'd finished college because I had a good career. Yeah. So, no, I wouldn't consider going back. Well, the irony of it is that at the end of those eight weeks, not only going back and having to finish undergrad, but I'm getting a master's degree. But, man, I loved every step of it. Really, really.
0: All right, so when you... About what age were you when you got let go from the job and the exhibits? Uh, I was
1: 44. Wife and kids. Right in middle life, yeah. Wife and three kids.
0: And when I hear that you lose your job because you get downsized. So mm-hmm. that was like, was that part of the 08?
1: No, that was, it was Before in, that? Let's see, it was in 2015-ish, 15 okay. 14, 15. And
0: so I feel like for most of us, if we were to get let go from our career, we wouldn't walk out and see the sun be bluer and the sky, mm. you, you let the sky be bluer and the sun be more yellow or whatever. Um, so when you felt that, were you instantly thinking, okay, there's something, I really hated this job. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, I think that was just, it was the, the final thing. So, I mean, for the last probably four or five, maybe four years of being there, it just, honestly, it was just sucking the life out of me. It was, it was not a healthy environment, for one, um, the way that specific business was run. Um, but in general, I had lost any interest in it, you know, and when I, when I went through this process, you know, I was pretty good with it because I'm, I, I tend to be not as much as a planner and more kind of live in the moment. My wife, who was the planner, was mm-hmm. certainly freaked out because we had lost an income um, and then a little more freaked out because we were spending this extra money on this career counselor. Once I got done with that though, and, and she saw the change in just my attitude and, and everything about how I was going through my day-to-day and you know going back to school and all that, um, she'll be the first to say that. It was the best thing that happened to us. Um, best thing that happened to me, um, certainly. So she, obviously I couldn't have done all, any of this without her 100% support, um, but it was, it was a, it was a really, it was phenomenal for me. And and yeah, it's, it can be terrifying to lose your job, especially in your mid forties when you got three kids at home. Um, yeah.
0: What was it like for you to go to a job you hated?
1: Oh, it was awful. I mean, every day, it just feels like every day you wake up miserable. Okay. You know, and you, and you get home and it takes, an hour to decompress and, and kind of get back to trying to focus on what's going on in the house and be there with your wife and your kids and all that and it was awful. Uh, okay. It sucked, you know. And it's if you look at um, if you look at the numbers, there's you know surveys that depending on the survey anywhere from sixty five percent to seventy five percent of people out there really hate their jobs. Hmm. Have some level greater than 50% of dissatisfaction with their jobs. Hmm. And man, for a place you spend eight hours a day, five days a week at least.
0: Yeah. Two thousand hours a year man, on the doing minimum. Some,
1: doing something you hate
0: is just awful. Okay. Really? Yeah. All right. So you meet with the career counselor. Why'd you decide to do that?
1: Um to figure out what I want to be when I grew up. I mean, it was. I've, I've been, always been one of those people that kind of had lots of different interests, you know. So, you know, I mentioned I was a drama geek, but I was also a real techy guy. I liked computers and stuff. Um, I liked, uh, I like um, problem solving and looking at different ways to to go about a task. You know, process oriented stuff. Um, I'm really, I, I, I like you know marketing and, and interacting with people and figuring out better ways to do that. So. Really, it was kind of, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do next because, you know, I've always said that I'm, I'm the definition of jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, I like building stuff. I like mm-hmm. construction. Um, so to really try to narrow that down, um, I was trying to figure this out. So I was talking to friends and people I knew, and a buddy of mine mentioned that, hey, I've had this <clears throat> some interaction recently with this uh, career guy. You might want to talk to him. Like yeah, I'll give it a shot. I mean, it's at this point I I got to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really helped focus that you know that next step of the journey. Okay. You know it was interesting the process that he went through. I mean, basically he started pre kindergarten. Like what are your first memories before kindergarten? Really? And then went through every stage of school. Went through every <laughs> job I had, and all he's looking for is like. And he's taking copious notes, but he's just looking for patterns. Like, what patterns start to emerge? And then after four or five weeks, now he's got, started to get these patterns. And then, you know, he's got a couple of online tests that he would use, you know, like Myers-Briggs, stuff like that, strength finders. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, you know, you put that all together, and you see what makes sense and what starts to bubble to the top. And mine came back uh, teacher, pastor, counselor. And wow. I didn't want to do teaching because... I like working with kids. I volunteered with student ministry for a lot of years mm-hmm. in my the church um, but I knew that I knew enough people who were teachers that get so burned out by administration by parents. that yep. they didn't want to do that um pastor i I married the daughter of a pastor, so I've seen kind of the inside workings of the church and some of the politics that happened mm-hmm. um, and I knew that it going that route, I'd probably want to kill somebody. And I think that's frowned upon as a pastor. Yes. And you tell me, I don't but know right. if you have to sign something. There's a class you uh, there is is not a class. to kill
0: people. Okay. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's important.
1: So counseling just you kind of felt right. You know, I was. You know, when you start to look back you, st- you, you can certainly start to see some patterns. But, you know, I was always the guy that people would come to my office and close the door and they'd talk. And it wasn't always about work. It was just about mm. stuff. I was always, I've always been the friend that people would I need to talk to you, things are going wrong. You know, I was always getting pulled in those okay. conversations and I always enjoyed those conversations. So it really just, it started to make sense. Okay. And I'd say every step along the line. So going back to school, I went and got my uh, undergrad at Baker College in business administration, um, mainly because they were the cheapest and the quickest way I could yep. finish my graduate or my undergrad. But I had to take a six-credit hour class in international business. And I know there are people who love international business. <laughs> and I tell you, for me, it's, it's watching grass grow, man. It's painful. But, I mean, I four-pointed through okay. Baker just because I had this bigger goal in mind and I had this, this carrot out in front of me that just pulled me through it. It was awesome.
0: So when you move into counseling kind of, and you start to pick like, where do I want to, where do I want to focus? Again, talk about, you can do anything from children to, you know, any age stage, any, um, you can be more specialized in addictions, Mm -hmm. All these different things. So how did you start to zero in the marriage? The marriage counseling is definitely part of that, but I want to, we're talking about men here. How did you zero in on the men thing?
1: Well, you know, the marriage counseling, that's kind of something I started with because I saw that as if I can counsel an individual, I can help change that individual's life. If I can counsel a couple and maybe save a relationship, or a mm-hmm. pair relationship, save a marriage, I'm impacting them, I'm impacting next generations because... Like Exponential return. The divorce and what a divorce does not only to the two people involved, and certainly their are kids and generationally straight down, but outwards. I mean, yeah. families are impacted by a divorce, things like that. Um, so that was a big impetus for that. But then going forward, I started to see how underserved men are in the counseling world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of the percentages of people who go to see counselors, it's something like 70% women, 30% guys. Okay. You know, I think a lot of that is societally, we are taught as men from basically when we're this tall that don't have feelings. Mm -hmm. You're just not supposed to have them. If you do happen to have a feeling, you sure as hell don't say it out loud to someone. You just kind of bottle it up and push it down. You know, when you get older, you drink it away, right? Or whatever. Um, So seeing this underserved population, but then um, seeing numbers, seeing statistics on the mental health of men and how there's no focus on it and how damaging it is to our society. Um, You look at suicide rates um, in our society and as of the latest numbers from the CDC, which was 2018, uh, the highest demographic for suicides was basically older white guys. Thirty-five to sixty-four make up thirty-four percent of suicides in the United States. Really? I mean it's just and and I mean there's lots of theories behind it. I think a lot of it my my personal theory. Yeah, what would that,
0: be like if you were just gonna generally summarize, like why do you think that is? What would you say?
1: Well I look at you know, you look at that age range, thirty-five to to sixty-four. <clears throat> And they're solidly into their careers or nearing the end of their careers. And I think, you know, a lot of guys have that, that idea that I need to go out and I need to work hard and I need to earn lots of money so I, my family can have a better life than I had, right? Right. So these guys are spending 50, 60, 70 hours a week working for their careers. Um, and their relationships, all their relationships suffer. they their relationship with their wife suffers, their kids' relationship suffers, you know, if they can occasionally show up to a baseball game or a hockey game, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But they also lose touch with friends, like the close friends they have, maybe from high school or college, they lose touch with, and you know, they've got some workplace acquaintances that maybe Mm -hmm. they go out with every once in a while, but they're not close friends. So these guys are starting to get, you know, past midlife and looking toward the end of their career, you know, and they're looking toward retirement, which is supposed to be your golden years, right? You've worked this hard for mm-hmm. this long to get to this spot. And their relationship with their wife, if, it, if they're still married, is crap. They don't know their kids. They don't have any friends. So they're looking forward to retirement, a loneliness. and mm. They're chewing on the end of a gun because of it. Because guys are just isolating themselves from real close relationships. That's my theory. And
0: I, this is where I, and you've shared this theory um, in a couple of classes we've been in and this is where I kind of want to spend the rest of our time talking about yeah. this idea for guys is um, one of the things that us, all people create, you know, crave is to, is to have real connections. Okay. And um, I know personally for me that I've had over my life, basically because I'm, I'm kind of an open guy. Um, I've always had meaningful relationships with other men, mm-hmm. and um, a couple things that I remember sharing with you that I realized that this was like really important um, was one time uh, a few years ago when I broke my back um, because of my wife and I. Um, we have a lot of we have a lot of people we care for who care for us. We went through that six to eight week recovery process and it was one of the easiest things we experienced because the outpouring of our community was tremendous. Mm-hmm. My wife didn't make a meal for six weeks. Right. Uh, people came over to clean the house. People came over to visit with me. Anything that we needed to do done, there was five people we could call and, um, and people were just very generous and very good. One guy in particular, who him and I were friends at that time and mm-hmm. you know, really liked each other. But he called me and he said, I'm doing a between the ears check. Yeah. Right? And I'm laying in bed and after this fusion, and you know, there's not a lot I can do. And I'm like, well, I'm doing okay, blah, blah. And he's like, okay. He goes, because this can get really dark. You know, what you're going through can get really hard and so forth. And, I, and so I started to ask him more, and it turned out he was a chronic, debilitating back pain guy. He had about five years of his life, twice he had to carry, get carried out of work on a stretcher. Yeah. Once down in Louisiana in a hotel room, and it, and he was in years of agony. He said it was so bad that I was looking at my gun yeah. and considering ending my life. Oh yeah. And he has, you know, has four children at home. That's how much pain he was in. And he said, "So I just want to be there for you if things get dark, and I'm gonna check in on you." And to his credit, through that process, he checked in on me on multiple times. Now that that took that relationship that was good, and yeah. it took us to another level right. because now there was vulnerability there's a little bit of transparency and so forth. And now he's one of my closest friends. And to be built up by these guys over the past 25 years of my life, 30 years of these men who have poured into me, but yet I'm deeply connected to them. They're Mm -hmm. not just advisors or I have real friends because of that. I think of all the things that I experienced because of that, how it's impacted my marriage in positive ways, how it's impacted my fathering, how it's impacted my career, all these different things. it's like, I'm such a blessed guy, you know? And because this has been so good for me and I can't see one downside of it, really, it's like, of course I'd want this for all guys. Right. I'd want this for all men. And it took us about five minutes of talking to each other and I'm like, okay, you're in, I'm in. And now the few times that we've met, it's like, It's just on when we talk. It's like both of us love this stuff and so forth. And so, as I picked your brain about this, as a guy who's trying to help men experience Jesus and have a, you know, experience Jesus in a way that helps them lead their families and lead their lives and lead their careers, um, I I, want to get your insight on this. And so, what I want to ask you to kind of share with us today is what are some of the roadblocks that you see guys experience when they're trying to form? meaningful friendships outside of the work acquaintance, outside of the person who we just do golf together, right, right? But, like, but like real meaningful exchanges and, and relationships where you know, as uh, Gary Tolufson talked about in, in one of our previous episodes, where he, he had these six men, you know, Paul Bearer, right. his wife's casket, and these guys are in his life, yep. right? Like that kind of a thing. Uh, what are some of the things that are, make it hard or difficult for men to get to that
1: level? Well I think what makes it hard again is back to um back to the societal implications of it. I think that there's so much emphasis put on as a guy you're supposed to be able to handle it all you're supposed to be you know pick yourself by your up by your bootstraps you don't pick any cheesy saying you want that it's all supposed to land on us, and we're supposed to be able to do it ourselves. And I don't think that's—I don't think that's valid. I think that to do it, to assume that you can do it by yourself, is just an isolationist viewpoint. I mean, if you look at—I mean, I think that we're designed to be social creatures. I mean, yeah. I, I explain to people this way. You know, I'm a follower of Christ. I have faith um, in. In God. If you look at the Bible and you read the Bible, what I read in the in um the New Testament is I read the story of Jesus, and Jesus, which is, you know, God become man to come here and help us, the first thing he does when he starts his mission is gets twelve basically complete morons to follow him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know the stories of the these guys, they weren't well, like the upper echelon, top-shelf thinkers of the time, right? Mm-hmm. They were fishermen and shepherds and tax collectors. And it's not like he needed their help because, one, he was God. Um, he could do it by himself. But, two, they weren't really the goal-getters that you'd pick, right? right. If you're picking a dream team, it no. wasn't those guys. Okay. But that's to show the, the importance of the community was to him so he was able to change the world with 12 morons mm-hmm. you know okay so let's take that and set that aside let's pretend we we aren't believers and we're atheists and we're looking at it from an evolutionary standpoint well 100,000 years ago when cavemen were living in caves you couldn't be a loner you had to live in a group in a clan because if you were a loner you were just dinner for say with the tiger right you had people to hunt, you had people to gather, you had people to raise kids, you had people to... It took a community of people to, for, to be able to survive. You couldn't do it as an individual. Mm. But now, when we fast forward to current times, well, you can be a complete loner. You can go without seeing people, you can go without having people, without letting people get close to you. That combined with the fact that as men, we're supposed to be go-getters and self-doers and do it all by ourselves. It it, it makes this perfect storm. So. The answer to the other part is, what do we do? I think, and I hate the word intentionality because I think it's so overused.
0: Well, hold on here. Before we get into that, one of the things that, as they're talking about is basically you're saying the two main drivers are the fact that, whether it be programming, unintended, uncommunicated, but basically, guys, just keep it to yourself. And then the fact that now we're living in a world where you can just keep Mm -hmm. it to yourself because you don't have to rely on people. You're saying that's probably the cause of what, Causes this guy's distro. Yeah. Okay. So if I come to you as a, as a, a client that I say, hey, Kevin, I realize in my life, the only friend I have, um, is really my wife. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um, Which is bad news. I mean, not well, that you shouldn't be great friends with your wife. Okay. But to be that, you're, that, for that to be your only outlet for deep, meaningful connection putting way too much on one person, putting way too much on your wife. Well, what do you mean you're putting way too much on your... Well, so, I guess what I mean is that to be a well-rounded individual, to be healthy, um, having multiple connections, having multiple close connections, having close connections with with other men um, balances that out so that Every problem that you have, every issue that you have doesn't need to fall on your wife's shoulder to fix. And not that you should never talk to your wife, and that's not what I mean at all. It's more that, you know, if that's your only outlet, then she's got to bear a lot. Whereas if you have Hmm. outlets with, with other men that even if it's just to kind of disseminate the information and kind of talk it out, and boil it down and then carry that information back and have that conversation with your wife, now you're not dropping the whole weight of everything on her. Um, So I'm not saying at all that you shouldn't share within the relationship. I'm saying that giving you an opportunity with more people that are close to you, um, being close emotionally and open emotionally with other people is always a good thing.
0: And I think when you talk about that, one of the things I just heard is like when you say disseminated, around multiple people. What I know is is that you know, obviously our thoughts are isolating, especially when you're dealing with a problem, it gets much bigger the more it rolls around in here. Mm-hmm. And just by talking it out with a few people, it does sometimes get those problems to more of a manageable state. You can leave that conversation, huh, I feel better.
1: Absolutely. Right? Like,
0: I, I feel a little better. Did we fix it? No, but for some reason I feel better.
1: No, because there's a lot of things that happen. There's there's one one thing is that any any issue that you're having a lot of time feels very isolationist because, well, I'm the only one who's dealing with this. Well, then you start talking to people and you realize you're not the only one who's struggling with whatever the struggle is. I mean, you know, big pictures things like you know depression or anxiety or um, addictions, you know, force us in on ourselves like I'm the only one who's dealing with this. I'm I'm the only one who's got the struggle, and it feels you, you, it makes you feel even more isolated, alone, and as soon as you start talking about it to people, and that's why things like AA are so successful, because you realize you're not the only one, that everyone's got, there are so many other people that have this struggle that you have, that just knowing that you're not the only one um, is a huge comfort to people. You know, getting out of your own head, like you said, you know, when you're dealing with, with, depression and anxiety I, you know when I talk to clients I call it the the bully in your head right so you've got this bully in your head that is is saying things to you you know you're not good enough you're not strong enough you're you're worthless um, I explained it to a, a client once that you know your your wife could say well honey you look nice today and the bully in your head says oh well, she only says you look nice today but what she means is you look like shit every other day Right. So that's what the bully's doing. Well, when you start to say those things out loud, when you share them with people that you're close with and that you trust, it it takes the sting out of it because one, you're you're saying it out loud and it it seems more ridiculous when you say it out loud, but when it's the bully in your head and it's three o'clock at night and you can't sleep, that's all you've got to listen to. Yeah. Well, when you say to your wife, you know, hon, I, I, I heard you say I look nice today, but for whatever reason, it sounded to me like, you look nice today, because all the other times you look like crap. I know that's not what you meant, and she'll probably, well, at best laugh, like, oh, no, baby, that's crazy. Of course I think mm-hmm. you look nice today, and I didn't mean you look like crap the other day, but it also gives some insight, and shares, opens up to her, maybe what you're struggling with, but this is what the anxiety is doing to me right now, and until like, you know, as I slowly get control of that, that'll go away, Here's, a, here's an insight into what my brain's doing with this stuff right now.
0: And again, so the more people you're doing with that with, the better it can probably be. Mm-hmm. So if I come to you as a client and I say, all right, Kevin, here's the thing. I realize the only friend I have is my wife. You've helped me understand that that's not the best thing for my wife. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of responsibility for her. Okay. Um, I'm 42, and I need to make new friends. How do I do that? That's tough, right? Right, and, and not just new friends, but you like play how with do new I...
1: kids at recess? <laughs> right,
0: exactly. Yeah, right, you can't do that. No, you can't, especially during COVID. Um, and I would think, you know, it's like okay. So, and I actually would like to make some meaningful friendships. So, um, kind of give me some steps you would you would have me try. Um,
1: well, I think the first step is to start signaling that you're opening to it and that's really simple you just well usually really simple tough with a mask on but you just smile at people you say hi to people you know we, we we so just kind of go into our own little world so when we're out in public we we don't look at anyone we don't really make eye contact we just kind of shuffle through the aisles of the grocery store mm-hmm. whatever well lift your head up and look at people and say hi um take two seconds to ask someone how their day is and not like, hey, how you doing? Good, yeah, you. But like, how's your day been? Um, have those conversations, you know. So look to make more connections with people just on a real simple level. Um, and then start to build from there. And yeah, it's kind of tough with things being locked down or partially locked down. But, you know, I I tell clients, um, you know, think about things that, you know, especially, if you're, you know, halfway through life, you're in your 40s and you've been working for a while. Well, what are some of the things that you did when you were in high school, when you were in college, that were just kind of like fun to blow off steam? What okay. are things you enjoyed to do? You know, was it, you know, you enjoyed, uh, you know, sports or, or playing stuff? Um, you enjoyed um, maybe doing like me. I was a drama geek. Maybe you enjoyed doing that. Uh, or you like you know had a shop class in high school and you loved work woodworking, you know, so start looking for some of those things to to have as hobbies, but don't just do it um, in solitary, do it you know look for places that you could go to talk to people about that look look at different clubs out in the community, look at find men's groups, I mean churches. Always have men's groups, right? Yep. Um, that are meeting on lots of different levels, even now. Um, another great place is find find a way to volunteer time. I mean, if you can't think of anything, find some place to volunteer. One of the things that
0: I just heard you say was talking about, like, you, you know, asking people, how's your day? Different things like that. Is it a good idea, like, you start talking about sending signals that you're open to this? For... I. Like for me to start to ask other guys a little bit more of a probing question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like obviously, um, I'm super aggressive with this stuff and it drives my wife nuts because <laughs> I, I come on too strong, as she says, right? Sometimes, but like, I've been like, all right, you've been married 15 years. What's one of the toughest spots you've been in in your marriage, right? Like, because like, then I'm like, yeah. let's just go. But, let's lean you, in. but
1: that's exactly you phrase questions differently. If you say, how's your day? Hey, how's it going? Automatic. I'm fine. How are you doing? I mean, yeah. we don't even think about it when we say it, right? So you ask the question a little bit differently, you know, and they teach you to do this with your kids to get them to, instead of saying, how was school today? You know, you ask, like, what was, what was the funniest thing that happened in school today? Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing works for grown-ups. What was the funniest thing you saw at work this week? Or what was the, the um, strangest thing that's happened since the lockdown? Or what's mm-hmm. the coolest thing that you've seen at work since the lockdown? Mm-hmm. What's the most frustrating thing? So you ask those those questions that, one, aren't the normal questions because you're not just gonna get the normal response, but it makes people think for at least a half a second. So their responses are gonna be realer. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so now you start to get a conversation going, you start to have um, more conversations like that. And um, one of the things that I know for us as guys is that um, just how do you manage your time? Because you can make everything not important enough. And it's like, so why, why should I go meet up with so-and-so tonight? I'm busy, right? Um, and so you have to make a little bit of a priority in your schedule mm-hmm. because if it doesn't, then that never happens. And on the same hand, you know, you gotta be concerned that it can't be all consuming either because oh, it's right. like, especially I got other relationships in my yes, life. You gotta work, you got a family, yeah. Yep. And so, um, like for me, one of the things I'm, I started to do is I, I, I invited six guys who don't know each other and I, I'm starting a book club because frankly, I'm envious of my wife because she gets together with this group of women, they read a book and they talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's wonderful, right? And it's like, so we we're, we're picking a book I picked the first one, ended up being horrible, which is awesome. You know, it was a bloodbath about the Native Americans and settling West Texas. And oh my gosh, it was horrible. Very violent, very depressing. So it was <laughs> so a great So do start. more
1: research before you finish yeah, the Yeah,
0: you know, and so, but I, and I thought, I'm like, hey, we get together every eight weeks. You got to read a book between the eight weeks. And then, um, and what I'm looking forward to is what other guys are going to suggest. Yep. You know, it's a way to expand and get into territories that are there. But again, I know it's like I can't do every month. You know because to get a book done in a month and get a meeting you know but i'm like i think a guy can manage every eight weeks right now you know if it's far enough out you can plan around it and so forth but like to understand that we need to just put these things on the calendar and then make them happen and then from that hopefully some of the stuff can start right. to breathe out there if a guy manages this well and starts to take your healthy relationships they have and take them to the next level, or take no relationships and start to form some new ones? What's going to be some of the upsides for him that he's going to experience?
1: Oh, geez. I mean, the upsides of, of, of having friends is... I don't think we have enough time to talk about what all those things are, but, you know, if you... you you'll see improvement in your general mood. You'll see improvement in... Um, your your current relationships. I mean if you can, you know, as you as you start to form these friendships, you know, it seems like when you're looking at it, like you said, that, man, I don't have time for new friends. But you'll find that if you can really cultivate some some good, strong, deep relationships, then your current relationship, say with your wife, now she's not the only one bearing the brunt of of all your emotional baggage. Um <laughs> And honestly, that's what it is, and and that will become stronger. And um, even though it feels like you don't have time, you'll end up being more focused when you have, when you do have time. So when you have when you have family time, if you have family game night, if you're in, when you're interacting with your kids, interacting with your wife, you're gonna have more focus because, you know, the a lot of the clutter is gone. Okay. You know, so if you can get rid of, you know, some of the, these relationships will will allow you the, um, give you the space to kind of declutter some of the stuff in your brain, and then you'll be able to be more focused. I mean, you could, if you could have you know a relationship where with, with a handful of guys that you're tight with and you meet once a week, once a month, one through two months, like you're saying, but just get together and just kind of go through some of the dump some of the baggage off and talk through some of this stuff to declutter your brain will give you so much more focus at home for the other relationships that are important. One of the things um,
0: you said earlier was just about like men's ministries and what what Eric's providing on Monday nights now for men is this environment where maybe, you're not gonna come to this and get friends, right? But there's an opportunity to actually start start some friendships because you're gathering around things, you're talking about ideas and over time, hopefully it's going to get a little bit more um, in-depth as you go with right. it, right? And that's a great way to start. If someone is sitting here saying, "Hey, I would really like to get someone like Kevin's help or, or perspective on some things that I'm dealing with, how do they contact you as a professional?
1: As a professional, um, my website is changecounselingservices.com. Um, you can also look me up on Psychology Today. It's kind of the storing house for everyone in the mental health industry. Um, you can search for me there. Kevin Rem. R-E-M, yep. Um, yep. Okay, great. Um, so the way I've, when I, when I got my license and when I started this process, I didn't get an office um, because I wanted to be able to meet people where they're at and out and about. So we meet at parks, we hike trails, I did a session with a guy at a driving range, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefit in that for, for men. Um, men, stereotypically, who, the idea of talking to a counselor is kind of really, really weird.
0: Well, early on when you explained to me, I thought that was so helpful, because the guys do our best talking when we're shoulder to shoulder, yeah. when we're doing something, and like, so to sit like this, especially as you get to know each other, is not it's always weird. the easiest, yeah. since like, so wait, I'm going to meet you at Stony Creek and we're going to walk the trail and we're going to talk a little bit. It's like, okay, that, that's yeah. way more enticing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: okay. awesome to be on a trail and get interrupted in a conversation because a deer ran by or yeah. random stuff like that. Yeah, that's great. Um, and okay. just being outside is good for people. Mm-hmm. Walking is good for people. And so your practice,
0: obviously, you know, you will sit down knee to knee with people, oh, but you don't sure. necessarily. And so for you as men, if this is something that you're interested in, just understand it's like this guy's going to meet you somewhere. And you're going to be able to either meet for a coffee, a beer, um, go for a walk, do whatever. Yep. And, and hopefully what that will do is uh, destigmatize the process, first right. of all, right, and get rid right. of that. And then also make it easier for conversations to happen naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, great. Well, Kevin, awesome. I'm super glad you're at Faith. I'm glad we got to know each other. and I'm glad yeah. that you um, care about men. And, um, and I'm glad I heard that today. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks.